0: Hi, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it free at LogRocket.com. My name is Tejas, and today we have Mateo Colina, co-founder and CTO of Platformatic, Node.js TSC member, lead maintainer of Fastify, and so much more, back today to talk about his recent talk, Building a Modular Monolith with Fastify. It's my great pleasure to introduce, I've known for a while and I consider a good friend and colleague occasionally. Matteo, nice to see you. How are you today?
1: Hi, Teja. Everything is very good today. I'm very, everything is fine and not some, so much sunshine, but at least we are just not raining here in Italy. So I'm very, things are very good. So how about you?
0: Yeah, things are great. There's a lot of sunshine here too. I'm in Greece right now on, the, on a tiny little island. Yeah, it's a really nice place to be. Matteo, I'm really excited to get into your talk that you just had at Node Congress. That was in Berlin. We missed each other because I was in Verona. And you had this talk about building a modular monolith with Fast. So before we do that, though, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who undoubtedly are familiar with your work, but I'd love if you could offer them more information about who you are and your background, things like platformatic and working with Node, being the maintainer
1: Absolutely. First of all, my modules on npm have been downloaded 70 billion times in 2022. If you search in the copyright notice in your node modules folder, or in Slack, or in uh, any other Electron-based apps, there is my code running on your machine. So at this point, I am pretty sure that I'm very close to be running on all developers' machines. Some code of mine is running on every developer's machines in the world. This is to set the set on. Back in, I'm part of the Node.js technical steering committee. I maintain HTTP streams and a bunch of other subcomponents. I am co-maintain. We are a large team in Node. In the past, I created the library Undici, which is a new HTTP client for Node that you should be using. And you probably are. It contains the new fetch implementation of Node.js.
0: Hey, forgive me, what's the name of this library you said? Undici. Only chi, okay. Yeah. That's something people listening can take away and use today if they're not already.
1: So it is Undici. It's a library that Node.js uses. All Node core uses to implement Fetch too. It provides a, a spec compliant Fetch implementation. It's spec compliant, so with all the things that comes from the spec, which means that is not API compatible with Node Fetch, which is not spec compliant. We made Fetch happen a few years back, so you now have Fetch in Node 18 is stable. And then at the end of September, no more Node, all supported versions of Node.js would have a fetch in it.
0: Happy Awesome. OK, so this is github.com slash nodejs slash undici. They will put this in the show notes for those who want to click the link.
1: I keep going with the introduction. At some point, I created this It's part of Node. Some other point, I created a web framework called Fastify. Before that, I created a library called Pino, which you should be using for logging. If you're not using it for logging, you're probably making yourself a disservice. Make it happen. Uh, You should also be using Fastify, but I'm not trying to convince you of that. It's up to you what you want to do. But for Pino, yeah, no, there's probably nothing better right now over there. Uh, Apart from that, we have Fastify, Pino. Oh, yes, of course, there is a new book that I have co-authored. Now, you might want to ask how I was able to find the time. Okay. This is a question for probably another podcast, not the current one, but this is the book on Fastify that I co-authored. Right. I'm the small author person that will write the foreword of the thing. And I posted the link, Accelerator Server Side Development with Fastify, which is available from June 9th. So when you hear this podcast, this is available. So you should probably go and check it out if you want to learn more about Fastify. Since last year, I changed jobs. I was working for a company called NearForm before, and we were doing consultancy, and I moved to Startup Life. And I started building this company called Platformatic, which wants to remove all friction from backend development. We are focusing a lot on how you build your APIs, and now you are building them with your team, and now you deploy them. And now you don't spend time reinventing the wheel, so there is a lot of solutions in the platformatic uh, github organization that helps you create apis very quickly from your database for example or create like little mesh apis something that combine multiple things at the same time and provide to you a solution that works out of the box, and you don't need to add a lot of other components to make it work. It's all included in the same package, so it's pretty great.
0: Wow. What I'm hearing is an intro. Hi, I'm Matteo Cullina. I do a bunch of stuff. I power all your node modules, and you should probably use all of my npm packages. Which, you know, that's a heck of an intro, and I'm here for it. I celebrate that. Awesome. So you mentioned Fastify yeah. multiple times. I'm really excited to get into the details of Fastify and talk about what it is, why devs should use it. You mentioned multiple times you should be using it. And i'm sure the listeners want to know okay i've been using something like maybe express for a long time why should i use fastify what's the draw there
1: express was designed back at the beginning of node it has the first mover advantage and it's a great framework okay it's also very stable the last major release was done nine years ago so the api has been fixed in the meanwhile we added async we changed a lot of Node Core, we changed a lot of the ecosystem, we changed a lot of things and uh, Express to stay there. So it's very stable software, not changing much, not leveraging the latest and the greatest that uh, Node.js and JavaScript can offer. And if you want that, you should check out something else. On top of that, Fastify, this is one good motive, adopting the latest pattern in JavaScript development. On top of that, Fastify is significantly faster than Express. It's uh, uh, almost no overhead compared to Node.js core. It's really thin on the overhead side of things. However, at the same time, it offers additional features that you need. For example, it has embedded API validation, data validation. So you should be able to specify, validate all the data that comes in in your HTTP request. If you're not doing that, and anybody that is telling you to not validate your data before passing it to a database or another API is encouraging you to do a security breach in your system, please be very careful of everybody that tells you, oh, but you can just take this parameter and forward it to a database without running proper good data validation on it. A few companies are doing that right now, so I'm not trying to put anybody specific on the spot. I'm just telling you should validate your data before doing anything
0: and fastify it makes that easy it makes that more approachable
1: yes exactly it's it's embedded in the framework okay the other first thing is you should not be using console log for logging it's one of the worst possible ways to log it's really great by the way console log is great for debugging okay hey let's debug everything using console log i am super behind using console log for debugging but not for logging. You want structured logs. right? So you want something that says, oh, this time step was taken at this point in time that has these options, these parameters, and the parameters are set as in a way that is easy to extract from a
0: machine. Right. So then you can analyze the logs and do all kinds of BI tests on them. Okay.
1: Yeah, you can find the stuff. And you need a proper logging solution built in to actually be able to do that properly and it needs to be embedded in the framework because otherwise you cannot do certain things like have certain routes being logging at a higher level than others so you might want to have your health check to not be logging to not result in your log. it will just pollution okay and wasted money to be honest. And But at the same time, you might want to have all your routes logging and so on and so forth. And console log really doesn't make this very easy to do this kind of filtering and processing and the decision on top. So yeah. don't use console log, okay?
0: And if you use a log like this that was built into the framework, I'm curious if there's performance implications. Because like there's the Node.js, and I'm really honored to be asking the expert here on Node.js. You could do process.standard out and write to that. Or you could console log. Yeah. Right. And what's the trade-offs? Is console log even maybe slower, or how does that interplay with each other?
1: So okay, where do I start? Pino does neither by default. Okay. Just to give you a hint. So whenever you do logging, okay, you need to think of what is my destination. You need to pinpoint the fact that you are producing the logs to send them somewhere. This somewhere is very important. It can be a remote processing server. Okay. It can be a file it can be standard output each one of the things you are logging to can be a socket okay as different consideration logging is one of the worst problem in software development it is the reason you have your data coming in your app and you need to serve a response right however your application while it's doing this activity has two output that it is producing One is, I don't know, changes in a database, probably, at some point. Okay, change in data and logs. Now, what happens if we are writing so much logs that the underlying transport, the underlying destination, cannot keep up where we send the logs to? Okay, what happens? How do we handle that? And that is the fundamental reason why Pino was born. We want a way to handle the destination in a way that... Is fast and minimizes the amount of memory that is consumed. Typically, to have the to forward them to. So, and Pino does a few ways that handles this in a few ways. So, it has file system destination, or it has the concept on transports. And in fact, we run transports as a separate thread inside the same application. So we keep the main event loop as clean as possible, so that the flushing can happen at a later time. Okay. of course, this causes has some memory concern on the things, uh, so you need to be tweaking the stuff accordingly. There are were a lot of bug reports about in one of our modules called Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom is this super fast, string-only alternative to process.td out. So instead of using the one from North Core, it was too slow. So we had to write our own. And it also enabled you to handle manually. The case of oh, but the destination is fully busy. like we are writing so much logs that the hard disk cannot keep up. How can this happen? You can ask a few of the folks that are working at Netflix that there are a few good issues. most of the time they open up issue impossible issues for me and they also send out the patch, so I'm not not complaining. but it's it's they're writing, oh, we are they're writing like an enormous amount of log, yeah. So it's pretty great. So yes, you should be using Pinot.
0: Right. So Pinot is this like almost revolutionary logger that will help transport logs in a very high-throughput way, it sounds like. Yes, yes, exactly. And can the destination of a Pinot log be even some type of distributed system?
1: Yes. So we have the concept of transport. So you could write your own transport, and the transport can forward the logs wherever they want to. And it can run inside the same process as a different thread. It's a great way of doing things. And we're using this approach heavily inside Platformatic. So we have recently shipped a Platformatic cloud, which is a way to deploy your applications, your Fastify and Node.js applications very easily. And what we did was we used this whole transport mechanism to ship the logs to our processor. And in a way that actually took very little time to be developed. It's a very impressive setup. And you can check out on our cloud. It's actually very easy. You just say, oh, no, this just works. It's so
0: simple in the browser that, oh, it just works. Yeah. But it's not that simple. I'd love to dive more into Platformatic in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to capture the talk that you had at Node Congress. It was a very powerful talk. So I'd love it if for the next few minutes, you could talk about the gist of your talk.
1: Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we completely went... I, every single time somebody invites me to their podcast, I completed the the product went completely
0: sideways. No, I love that. It's about the conversation. I also want to get into the details of Pino and of, of Undici and all of this. Okay. I have worked for
1: eight years and a half as a consultant helping companies implement using Node.js. What I have noticed is one single pattern. It's most of the problems that teams and, and developers have in Node.js applications and long-running projects is that they structure their project in an unscalable, unmaintainable way. Essentially, they end up developing their code in more or less in a spaghetti bowl fashion. Why? The key problem is that... And sorry, putting the things on Express. The original Express tutorial and even the Express generator creates an application and treats it as a singleton running inside your process. And more importantly than that, it has all the bootstrapping of that application done more or less synchronously along the way.
0: For those of us who maybe didn't go to computer science school, a singleton.
1: Yes. So what is a singleton? It's an object that you have only an instance of that object. Okay. Now, what it happens is you create your database connection and store it inside the module that is required everywhere. You put your Node.js application, the server, as an object that gets loaded and used everywhere. And so everything is run via these globalish components that you only have one instance of that. Now, why is this problematic and why singleton is basically this one of the biggest anti-pattern that you can essentially find everywhere? Because it's very hard to test this. Okay. Every time you want to test your application, you need to basically, oh, but I have all these singletons to tear down and relaunch and so on and so forth, making it your test low, making your test harder to run, and also exposing yourself to all sorts of bugs when developing the application. The other problem is that you think that node modules are singletons. So that when you do an export of something, it's a singleton. Okay, and you just have that one instance of that specific module. This is not true. The Node.js ecosystem is built around the concept that you can have two different instances of the same module loaded from two different paths. And they could potentially contain very similar code or do the similar things. And the moment you define them in that way, you are clearly defining your code as, oh, I'm never going to take part a chunk of my library and move it inside a module, inside a package that then can be reused somewhere else. What this causes is, as a result of this problem, there is the fact, uh, the result of this train of thought, is what you're doing in that express tutorial that you showed at the beginning it's essentially doing you a disservice because it's actually a very great tutorial. So you get learned something very quick, but you're learning something that does not age very well. Okay. And every single person that has built a complex application will tell you that. Now, what is the other complex is whenever you start adding, for example, ORMs that use the concept of a global connection, then you become even less likely that you will ever be able to split your application or decouple your application. Over time, as much you add code, everything passes through the same singletons, okay? and you are very quickly not able to split your code anymore. So everything becomes more or less coupled with each other, and leads to essentially a big ball of mud.
0: And everything becomes coupled to each other because they all depend on this one instance, this one singleton. Typically, this is part of the biggest problem, yes. Right. And then you get a giant monolith. And we all know that microservices, or at least we were told that microservices... The problem is not really about monolith versus microservices.
1: The problem is about coupling between the different parts of your applications. You want the different domains inside your application, the different components, different things that you are built. The parts that are built by different human beings, ultimately, okay? If you have two human beings, you probably want to have them working on two different things, not the same thing at the same time. So if you want their two parts to have as minimal interaction as possible, if you do, that's easy to then scale your team and not block everything. But most large Node.js applications have seen a lot, quite a lot that become hard to maintain because they're not built on top of that stuff.
0: So it sounds like avoiding these singletons helps avoid coupling yeah. and helps enforce the single responsibility principle, right? I saw a great tweet once, I think it was Dan Abramov, who said, you should write your code in such a way where you can just delete a whole part of it and everything else works fine. Exactly that. Following that, you can
1: see that principle is very much defined in how we structure React components, for example, yeah. Okay. that you do not use global stuff inside React components. Everything is contained within the component. Why the heck you want to write your JavaScript code like we were writing it in 2009? Sorry about making a good, <laughs> uh, a nice comparison here, but that's the problem that I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Matteo always with the hot takes. Okay, we'll do an ad break quickly and then I want to jump into Platformatic and I want to I hear it from the lion's mouth itself. But before that, I should mention LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. So it sounds like you're this person who has worked at length on Node.js core on the technical steering committee, with a lot of teams, also with Netflix and so on, on your libraries. And now you're bringing all of this expertise to Platformatic. And to me, this sounds very exciting. Also, as an angel investor and a bunch of other startups, this is a take my money scenario, right? So I'm curious to hear about Platformatic, and I'm sure all the listeners are as well.
1: Yes, Platformatic. Platformatic started with this concept of, I've seen companies doing the same thing over and over again, doing the same problem with how do I scaffold my Uh, Node.js application? How do I put it into production? How do I protect my event loop from thrashing? Now, this is probably another half an hour talk about how to do not make your event loop trash. I would probably do that at a conference at some point. I actually wrote the CFP today, so that's why I'm mentioning But this is essentially the key concept of how do you do all of that? How do you set up logging? How do you validate? How do you map your database to CRUD routes? Because you don't really want to redo them all over again, all the single time. How do you do microservice? How do you do microservice communication? How do you build the clients for your microservice communication? Now, this is one of the things that takes a lot of time because, oh, I'm doing microservices now. And now you need to build clients all the time. So, yeah, it's actually a lot of fun. Okay, and uh, I am pretty excited about Platformatic and what we are building. We just recently opened up our cloud, so now you could essentially give us some money to run your code inside our cloud, which is pretty exciting. We've also launched a bunch of other features like API composition, so you can compose multiple different REST-OpenAPI routes into the same one, essentially removing a good part of the problem of building a BFF. And a backend for frontend for the people that are watching or listening actually, and then uh, yeah, that's it to be honest.
0: So you watched it. A lot of people reinvent the wheel with a number of things, specifically how you split up your services and so on. And Platformatic addresses those problems.
1: We do it in two ways. First, we provide you an open source library that you can use to build your own applications. Okay,
0: but that doesn't make money. That doesn't make. Are you sure?
1: Yeah. Okay, ask Red Hat if that does not make money. Hey, Okay, ask Red Hat if that does not make money, okay? It's, it makes money, okay? It can make money, especially because the moment you are talking to a large companies, large enterprises, offering a good support plan, it's something that companies are and can be interested on. Right. Especially because it, this is essentially a turnkey solution. The other thing that we do is we have a platformatic cloud, so you can give us some money to run your code, essentially. And uh, we support C names. we support all the things that you want. We also have a preview environments so that you can easily create a preview environment for your app very quickly, which is great. Then the final bit is, yeah, but uh, yeah, our cloud also runs Cloud Prem. So you could even run it inside your system if you want to, which is pretty great, to be honest.
0: You say Platformatic Cloud, in exchange for money, runs my code. So I can run my code on Platformatic. Yeah. Is that comparable to something like, I think of, and this is not an endorsement, uh, there's no financial relationship, of course, is this similar to conceptually, something like AWS EC2 or Vercel? It's a a
1: server-full environment. So you have a long running process. You don't have the problem of functions and serverless in general, which, oh, I just run one thing at a time, which is the worst possible way to get build because you are basically build for not doing anything. And this is my main critique about the wall functions model. Okay, you are receiving a request, and then you typically you do a database query or you do call another API, and then you need to do some CPU to generate the response, being that the HTML or just doing a little bit of data manipulation after you have talked to the database. Okay. Now the problem with that model is for a good chunk of that time you are paying for the function. For the execution time, but most of the time when that runs, it's actually doing nothing. <laughs> so it's a great model to build people for, okay? Not a model that I personally use often because if you have a lot of invocations, it's not money effective, okay? And we have sealed that on Twitter from time to time of people having mad builds from using functions and stuff. It's because of that model, essentially.
0: This is really interesting for me to hear because a lot of people say with the traditional serverful approach, you get billed for nothing. Because if your servers are just running in idle, you're still going to get billed. Because of the-
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yes.
0: But don't you think you would get billed for nothing with the serverless model? Yes, indeed. For the like cold start period, you get billed for that. But once the function is warm, I can't imagine. Would you still get billed for idle time? or
1: Yes. It's billed between the time that it take, it's taking, you're calling another resources to process the request. Right you're not using that memory, that process, that CPU
0: time to do anything. That's so fascinating. Okay, so then if you get built for nothing in both scenarios, I'm curious what platformatic answer is. Well, there are two fundamental
1: differences here. So with a serverful environment, you're building for occupying memory and having a CPU available, okay? What you do with that CPU is up to you now. And this means that if you write your code well, in that cpu or that chunk of the cpu that you have available for your service you could run 10 20 1000 requests with the same cost so in reality if your server can process 1000 requests per second in one case you have 1000 execution to run and you are paid for 1000 execution okay and on the other end you are just paying for one server being idle so the moment you pass the original the cold start the scale to zero problem where you don't pay for that service running all the time, you can actually enjoy a much better response time, much better all the things, essentially, uh, compared to a serverless model, which to be honest, I had developed a lot of function system. I really like functions. I really like the fact how you combine those systems together. I really like Lambda. I have built system with Lambda. I built system Mixed system most of the time, okay? If you can see the same concept that I'm talking about very in a similar way in the article that was published recently from Amazon moving away from Lambda back on a full server, it's the same concept, to be honest. It's actually very funny because the marketing part of functions is, oh, you can just uh, scale as many as you want. We take care of the scaling so you don't have to. Right. But then even Amazon says, oh, at a certain point, it doesn't scale, which if you, somebody has done some formal studies on distributed systems, everybody will tell you that a system scales well within a certain boundary. Yes. Okay? And that's the problem with lambdas and so on. And they are great tech. Okay, it's, They work very well if your system has no traffic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What I hear is Lambda is great if you have low traffic, because then, you know, you you don't pay much. But once you pass a certain threshold of invocations, then it becomes way better to switch to a serverful environment because you can service way more people for a fraction of the cost.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The TLDR. yes, this is a good answer. From it.
0: This is a practical tool for everybody listening. These serverless functions are not the only answer and they may be even worse for you. I think that's something more people need to hear. So thank you for sharing that. You mentioned the platformatic cloud, which we've discussed now and I understand and it's actually pretty great. You mentioned two more things that maybe we'll dive into one of them for the sake of time. You mentioned this open source project, but where yep. I was like, you don't that doesn't pay, but you were like, check out Red Hat, which indeed it does pay. I'm curious if you could tell me more about this open source project.
1: Yes, what we have it's you can add to github.com slash platformatic, platformatic. And then we have here, this contains most of platformatic code dashboard of the cloud. Okay. It has all the basics to build APIs, and you can even just run it on top of your Docker containers and so on. So it doesn't need much. You can even run it on Lambda. Okay. This is actually when it gets even more funny because... I even have a guide on how to run it on Lambda, so you could technically run it on Lambda. Do I recommend that? Probably no, but a lot of people do it anyway, so who am I to judge? And by the way, it's great. Like, for certain cases, it's actually great. For others, maybe less, but it's actually very little line of code. Like, I don't know, it's like 20 lines of code to run a platformatics thing on on Lambda. So you just load the config file and
0: you're good to go, essentially. This is the code then for platformatic cloud as well.
1: Yes. So basically, Platformatic Cloud uh, is based upon this service, the, this open source project. And uh, what we do at Platformatic, what we want, the problem that we want to solve really, is we want to standardize the plug that you use when running Node.js application for a server. Okay, and standardize what is that plug compared to what you standardize the plug between your service and the cloud running it. In that way, you can actually develop your systems and your teams and your colleagues can actually, oh, but I don't need to do a new fancy deployment pipeline. That's done already, okay? I can reuse all the things all the time, okay? And this is why we can provide, for example, very easy-to-use ephemeral environments that just disappears. Because, you know, we can scale to zero very quickly. It does not depend on the complexity of your app. It's all about... we run our code
0: that helps me understand platformatic and it also makes me want to use it especially because it's open source and i can deploy it myself awesome with that mateo let's leave it here honestly i wish we had more time and i say this with every podcast guest because i want to poke your brain for hours and hours and maybe we'll get that chance one day but for now i'm curious where can people find you i'm sure i'm not the only one eager to continue the conversation so where can people find you and ask you questions and follow you etc
1: so i have a little bit of a website which contains all the links to where I am. This is not land.dev, it's just on my website. It then links to Platformatic and links to everywhere. You could also find Platformatic at platformatic.dev.
0: Fantastic. Mateo, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And honestly, from a personal note, thank you for teaching me about serverless functions and where the cost doesn't make sense. And so on. I appreciate the discussion as always. And I look forward to the next one. Thanks again. Amazing.